0: know, the tears of grief have been chemically designed by our creator to be very different than the tears you shed when you're peeling an onion. Once you have cried, you're almost anesthetized. If you have a good cry, you blow your nose, you wipe your eyes. What do you generally say? I feel better.
1: Conceal a matter in the glory of kings to search it out. (laughs) Are you ready, queen? Are you ready? Because season two of The Best Kept Secret is finally here, and I am so glad that you are back with me. This season, we are uncovering some of the secrets of the fruit of the spirit, and that means that it is time to level up in every way, starting with our character, Thank you for being here. Y'all, it's one of our last conversations on the parts of the fruit of the spirit. Can you believe it? I am so incredibly grateful for your time here. I'm so incredibly grateful for how you have connected. And I just pray that these conversations have blessed you. They've blessed me so much. (laughs) And I just wanna say thank you to every single one of my guests who walked alongside me this season. I had no clue how fascinating, how intriguing, how enjoyable studying the parts of the fruit of the spirit could be. But y'all, y'all made it. Y'all made it so much more enjoyable. And I'm grateful today. I hope that you are preparing to have a beautiful Christmas. However, if you are struggling in any way, I want you to know that this podcast episode is going to support you in that area. I'm not sure if you have lost a loved one, if you are walking through a season in the valley in this moment, or if you simply know someone who is. But regardless of where you are, where your family is, or those whom you're in relationship with, when we emerge from this conversation, you will be more equipped to recognize God's grace and his gentleness in each and every one of our lives than before. I have two beautiful guests that have just opened their hearts and poured themselves out. And we're gonna get into this conversation. As you know, gentleness is not one of those parts of the fruit that comes easy to me. (laughs) I'm just so grateful that God reveals and exposes those areas of growth that we have. And then he brings others alongside us to help us. This, this is one of those moments. In preparation for this podcast episode, I started reading a book called A Gentle Answer by Scott Sauls, which I referenced on the last podcast with Vanessa Hartzell. And it really has blessed my life in so many ways than one. Scott teaches us how to be gentle in a culture that is just promoting cancel culture and new ways that I don't know we've ever seen before. But he encourages us with so many different parts. I love how he talks about gentleness, the need for it, and how it shows up in our lives. But I also love the fact that he does teach us how to have righteous anger and how to allow that to complement our gentleness. In his book. Scott talks about how gentleness costs, and I don't always know that we recognize that. He talked about how gentleness costed Jesus everything, that he literally submitted and surrendered his life before others so that they could talk about him, so that they could persecute him, so that they could kill him. And it may feel as if our pride is dying when we choose gentleness. It may feel as if our reputation isn't one as a strong, powerful person, but it's one that sometimes others characterize as weak because it takes incredible strength to show gentleness and allow it to move you to lay everything else down, to lay your pride down, to lay your need to be right down, to lay the opportunity you have for that comeback and that clap back. It costs all of that. It's my hope that you'll check out Scott Saul's book, but that you won't stop there because my guest today have written a beautiful book that is going to lead you into the presence of God and his feet as you cast your cares before him in new ways. Let's get into this conversation. You have heard speaker after speaker after speaker share that they're either struggling with gentleness or patience, and so often those are connected. April, how are you today? Hey,
2: good morning. I am well. I'm super excited to be here today.
1: Me too, me too. And Marilyn, how are you today?
0: I'm doing great. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here too. Thank you for having us.
1: Yes, yes. So I am excited to talk about your book, to really just lean into this subject. And I am your student today. um, So I'm really looking forward to learning from you. But my first question is, what does gentleness mean to you? And does it come easily or not?
2: Well, for me, I think gentleness is a way of just being kind and showing kindness. Um, And I hate to admit, it does not come easy to me. There is a person that has really displayed it beautifully in my life. Um, A friend of mine, Meg, that um, I share about in the book, but she... Um, she was battling cancer for nearly 20 years and she has three children and two of her kids are the same age as my children. And she would always tell me um, that she always, she wanted her house to be a soft place for her kids to land. And I just remember thinking, wow, that, that is remarkable. And so as I'm raising my own teenagers um, and there are opportunities, (laughs) opportunities, <laughs> opportunities is the, you know, code word here for when you really want to get upset and angry and throw the hammer down that I have to take a step back and think to myself, what would Meg do? Um, Because Meg always did what the father did, the heavenly father did. And so I have found myself Learning to take a step back and show kindness. So even when, let's say my teenage son was um, rebelling and just being a stinker for, you know, like teenagers can be. And I was at the grocery store. I would just, you know what, I would pick up a pack of Twizzlers or Kit Kats or whatever their favorite little thing was and i would just put it on their pillow and with a little sticky note that said love mom or um i would just do little little tokens even though they were driving me crazy um little tokens of kindness um to kind of break through that hard that hard facade of teenage life um and that has that has helped
0: me. Well, I think given that it's a fruit of the spirit, I think God knows it doesn't come easily to us. (laughs) It looks different on different people. And maybe, you know, we have different personalities, we're all wired uniquely. So it may be a little uh, easier for some people to show kindness or patience or gentleness than others. I think of gentleness as the opposite of harshness. And so it's intentional for me to think that I want to be gentle here. Um, A friend of mine told me, when in doubt, do the loving thing. Mm -hmm. And the thing is always being gentle. And maybe the impatience at the supermarket checkout, it may be a difficult person in your life,
1: whatever, but it takes intentionality. Ladies, we have company and this is just so refreshing to hear that it's okay. It's okay to struggle in this area. God is still perfecting us and he's always giving us opportunities (laughs) to grow in this area. I'm just going to shout out Tanya Green and how we talked about the opportunity that we have when we pray for patience. And that's true across the board of every part of the fruit of the spirit. So do not be dismayed when you feel as if you are tested even more in an area once you begin to pray for it. So uh, I'm so grateful for how you were just so transparent with us, April and Marilyn, and how you helped us to feel a little bit more human today. (laughs) (laughs) I am really excited to get your new book, Destination Hope, a travel companion when life falls apart into the hands of a couple of our listeners today. And I know that you've written about some of those seasons you've walked through in the valley. And so I just want to ask you, how have you been challenged to show gentleness? And what parts of this challenge did you share within your book through the loss that you've walked through or the pain that you've walked through?
0: Well, I think for me, to let your listeners know, my loss is ongoing because as april's is and she'll share that too but uh it will be 10 years this december 23rd that my husband suffered a fatal heart attack and we were traveling out west to visit our daughter and her family so we weren't even home and there's the book i tell the story about a life flight and within hours he had stepped into heaven And so I had no idea what it was like to walk the life of a widow, none. I did not realize there were so many secondary losses. There were so many life changes. And so when people think that after a year you should be over it, that becomes a challenge for me to be gentle because they don't understand. Um, when they are talking about date nights with their husband, it becomes a challenge for me to just nod my head and smile and whatever, and realize, don't you realize how hard that is for me to hear that, but they don't realize it. And so it really is a call to be gentle. I'm a facilitator for a group, grief support for spouses, And we have people there with fresh grief, people who have come even after one or two years, and they're in different places. And I have to respect that. And their journey is all very different. And so it's a gentle response when they say something or when they are having a difficult time. So that is where I think gentleness has come in my grief journey. And I'm, I'm called, I'm called to be Jesus to people, you know, and, and that's, um, my natural person sometimes wants to scream and I realize I can't. Mm.
2: Well, in my life, um, About six years ago, my life turned upside down when a chronic illness sort of hijacked my life and my career and affected our family. Um, I was a pharmacist, Uh, we lived in a beautiful lakefront home and our family of four had the like American dream type environment except for a white picket fence, you know and uh, an, a rare illness had effect, had attacked my body, but it took 13 months so just over a year for the doctors to even be able to figure out what was going on. And in that time frame I was unable to work and we had to, um, we had to make decisions, and that decision included selling our home and moving from the house that we had lived in with our children for 15 years and downsizing and going to a single level, perhaps wheelchair wheelchair um, accessible. Not that I'm claiming that in my future, but we have to be realistic um, home, and uh, we changed neighborhood, we changed towns, schools, um, churches, the whole thing. And so our life was just turned upside down. I um, went from being um, a pharmacist with a nice salary to being at home and being a full-time patient. And the financial side effects of that was enormous. And the Um, the mental side effects of that was equally um, difficult for me. I really struggled with my identity because I had spent, so I'd spent eight years in college and if I'm not a pharmacist, then who am I? Even though I attended church and had been in church since utero, you know, who, who am I if I'm not who, what I do? And so it's been, a struggle and an exploration of digging into God's word and seeking his face, um, and for God to just remind me that uh, he is our good, good father, and I'm his daughter, and I need to be kind and gentle to myself in this time period while he is going to figure it out. Um, When we ended up finding this home, we pulled into the driveway and the house number is 2911. And before we even stepped out onto the driveway, it was like the Holy Spirit was like, whew. And as soon as I saw 2911, boom, Jeremiah 29 11 downloaded into my brain for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans for hope and to prosper you and plans for a future and not to harm you and I just looked at my husband and I said this is the house and he said well we haven't even gotten out yet I said trust me this is the one and of course it, it was the one and so for me I've been challenged to show gentleness in my life for myself as I'm walking through a life that's been turned upside down Um, as a believer who is a full-time patient. Now uh, I used to be a full-time pharmacist and now I'm a full-time patient um, managing a rare chronic illness. And meanwhile, I still have um, two teenagers and an opportunity to uh, write and, and share of what God's teaching me um, to others. And so for me, the gentleness has been for myself. And I don't mean for that to sound selfish, but it has been a very challenging past six years. And the gentleness that God has been showing me And teaching me um, has then allowed me to turn around and show that same gentleness um, as Marilyn talked about to the person at the grocery store. God has used my chronic illness to teach me gentleness for myself and for others.
1: Mm. Thank you, ladies, so much for just... Uh, bringing us into those uh, areas of loss and pain in your life. As we, you know, emerge from this pandemic, I know that there are so many of us that have stories of pain and loss. And it's really encouraging to, you know, just hear someone else's perspective and how he still called us to your point, Marilyn, to be Jesus to others in this hurting world. I I am stricken by how we can say things Um, just in passing or in joking ways Mm -hmm. that truly do cause others pain. And I've been open about my struggle with infertility in this season. And this holiday season, it's hit me just so much harder than in others' simply because of the treatments that I've been through and the hope that I had and the fact that we're here at another you know, Christmas again without children. And I l- turned on a YouTube channel from two podcasters that I just admire and continue to admire immensely. But to hear them laugh and joke about how their Instagram numbers would increase if they were to decide to have another child. When I was really looking for respite and some hope in this area was just hard. You know, to hear someone even just equate having children with Instagram numbers was hard. Uh, So I'd like to ask, you know, how... Do you respond and how have you learned to respond to others when they're callous or insensitive or even simply ignorant about the pain that you're continuing to walk through years later? The pain of the new identities that you've had to form in your various situations of loss, because one thing that I am beginning to recognize is that that grief is just all-encompassing and as much as we like to believe it just it's gonna affect this piece of me for this long it affects so much more of us for so much longer uh than we might expect so how have you been challenged and uh how have you been encouraged even to show gentleness to those that haven't been kind or gentle to you
2: i remember when i uh, was i had just been diagnosed, so it was, you know, like I said, I had to go through 13 months, and I had been on the prayer list at church for a long time, and I had finally had a name for this rare illness of hypokalemic periodic paralysis, and I'll never forget, I was standing in the um, the children's hall uh, at church, and I think I had just I don't know. I think I was coming from Sunday school class or something. And anyway, I was in that hall area and a woman approached me and I didn't know her well, but I knew enough about her to know that she had no medical background. Like she was not a medical professional and she looked at me and she said, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, well, you know, um, Every day, it, you know, at the moment, I feel okay, but, you know, it changes throughout the day, and and I just kind of said it like that, and she goes, well, you know, your illness, I've never heard of it before. Are you sure it's even real? And, girl, you want to talk about some gentleness, Let's talk about some self-control because it took every ounce of self-control that the Holy Spirit had given me not to choke her right there in the children's wing. Mm. And I just stood there and I smiled like my fake permanent, I'm going to hurt you smile. (laughs) And I said to her, well, that's why they call it rare And, and so I had alluded to her that it was only like one out of a hundred thousand people that have this illness. And so in the town, in the city that we live in, it's about a hundred thousand people. And I said, so I'm the one in our whole city that has this. And she's like, well, I've never heard of it before. And, um, and so we go from, I go from people like that who question even whether or not I'm making something up or if it's real because they've never heard of it before, to others that are um, that that would say I, I I can't imagine what you're going through and so there's a a, a range of that, um, and I just have to I've learned to have to recognize that people don't realize how cruel or um, unintentionally callous the words they say come, you know, feel to, to those of us on the receiving end of it. And I don't think it's intentional. Like, I really don't think her Mm -hmm. word of saying that was intentional, but man, it, I have to say, I was a hot mess about that for several days, and I just had to take it to the throne, because I was like, Lord, what are you doing here, Um, and, um, but there are going to be people that that don't understand, but that's why it's important to find yourself a good prayer group, a good circle of, um, of, Praying warriors and also other people support groups of other people who are walking in that same um, in that same path.
0: You know, in the book we have an excerpt there that's called "Beware of Falling Rocks," where we say rocks can be very decorative in your garden, but they can also fall right on your head. And we use that analogy when we talk about words. And one specific experience that I had uh, was at a luncheon when um, people were, uh, I was brand new to the area, and we were going around the table, and people wanted to know if we were married, and I said, I'm widowed, and I didn't want to turn the whole conversation into the experience. And uh, they asked me what happened, and I said, well, he had a fatal heart attack. And one woman chimed in and said, well, my husband had a heart attack two years ago, and he's just fine now. And I thought, you know, and then she and she added an expression, which I find annoying, and God is so good. Well, you know, God is not good conditionally. God is good all the time. And he was good to me that night when the doctors came out and said, your husband didn't make it, and he was good to her when he told her her husband did. And uh, I didn't say anything, I was quiet. Now, let me contrast that with another luncheon I was at, and this was a couple of years later, and women were, one woman was, um, they were moving into a new house, but they were in an apartment in the interim. And it was cramped, and she was trying to read, and her husband constantly came in to interrupt her. And she was explaining that. And she said, I finally told him, can't you give me five minutes of peace and quiet? I want to read. And I looked up and I said, you know, I'd give anything to have my husband interrupt me. And so I think sometimes gentleness is kindness, but it can also be instructive. And We don't want to let someone, and I don't mean to let someone get away with something that we want to have the upper hand. But another experience was I don't understand why um, that person is still crying after six months. And I said, well, you know, the tears of grief have been chemically designed by our creator to be very different than the tears you shed when you're peeling an onion. I said, those tears have a chemical that once you have cried, you're almost anesthetized. I said, think about it. If you have a good cry, you blow your nose, you wipe your eyes, what do you generally say? I feel better. And that's, that's true. You do feel better momentarily. So crying has been designed by God. So that's what I mean about instructive instead of you could ignore it and say well the gentle thing might be just to ignore that comment no the gentle and the kind thing is to educate somebody you mm-hmm. have to we have to um, balance that and be in tune with who the person is what they've said what the situation is and is it necessary for me to say it <sighs>
1: As you both were speaking, I was reminded of the verse, I believe, in 1 Peter 4 and 8, which says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so when we remember that people are going to hurt us, although it's not always intentional, we can love deeply and that love can cover those areas of sin and hurt and pain. Um, but, we also need to remember that it may be an opportunity for us to walk with them in that and teach them. I am sorry for how people have responded. My goodness, um, my goodness, y'all, just because we don't understand it, because we've never been through it, because we've never heard of it does not give us the right to discredit it. And so it's my hope that in all of these conversations, we just walk away with the opportunity to take a breath before we respond. Because I think so very often, we just need to slow down and stop feeling as if we always need a response (laughs) (laughs) that's rooted in our experiences. Hmm. Ah. You know, there's a Spanish,
0: there's a Spanish proverb that says conversation should improve the silence. <laughs> that
1: is so I, I, when I
0: think about a quiet answer turns away wrath and and all these things we've talked about, you know, are my words really going to improve the silence here? That's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy.
1: That is heavy. And as someone who is uncomfortable with silence in large groups, I think it gives me perspective as well. Conversations, our conversations should improve the silence. Um, One of the things that you guys kind of helped us to recognize as well is that (sighs) these areas of insensitivity, ignorance are going to rise up. Everywhere. Unfortunately, there's not any place that's really, um, going to protect you against them. And, um, I will say I chuckled April when you said you were going to choke her in the children's wing. I know. Isn't that so godly? Um, but I, I think that it just once again speaks to that need to, you know, show gentleness to yourself and to others because uh, even though we go to church, we're still in process. My question for you guys is how you would encourage those who are hurting this holiday season, those who are growing a little bit more hardened in this area because of the loneliness that they feel, the isolation that they feel.
0: Grief is as unique as fingerprints. Therefore, your approach to life itself is going to be as unique as your fingerprints are based on your personality, your support system, uh, the kind of loss you have, the marriage you had. And I'm speaking particularly about losing a spouse. Um, So that is going to be different. And because... I think the important thing to first of all realize is these holidays are going to be different. You know, they're not, you can't replicate what you had before because there is an empty chair at the table and that's front and center. It's right there. But you know, I love the way the Lord prepares us for certain things. And one of the ways he prepared me for my personal life and to share with other people is before my husband died, uh, we it was our 42nd anniversary. We took a cruise to Alaska, and we were privileged on that cruise to have lectures about what we were going to see, where we were going to go, and whatever. They were amazing. And the speaker said, you are going to breathe some of the cleanest air on the planet. You are going to see some of the clearest water you've ever seen in your life. You're going to look out and see glaciers it's going to be amazing it's nothing like where you came from he said so don't prepare, don't compare if you think it's desolate if you don't think there's much here and you're looking back at your cities and your skyscrapers and your malls and your activity and all that and think these poor people don't think that way don't compare where you've come from with where you are and he said and where you are don't miss the treasures and those treasures were breathtaking and so I use that example to think I cannot compare where I am right now with where I was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago when I would have my husband with me for Christmas or I had my extended family. So I think it is, again, intentionally having a perspective and acknowledging, I can't duplicate what I had. I do not have what I had. I have to look at how I can capture the treasure of the moment.
2: For those who have lost family members. And and speaking of our personal family, we've lost several family members this year. Um, I think it's important to ask those close to them to to say their name and to not Mm -hmm. forget to say their name. So in Marilyn's case, I, you know, I, I would ask her, tell me about Randy, tell me what was Randy's, you know, what was his favorite Christmas song or tell me about a Christmas tradition with you and Randy, or what was his favorite Christmas cookie, or it doesn't have to be Christmas related, but for those who are going through a hard time, I think it's so very important that the rest of us not um that we that we intentionally say their name i think our our thought process is that we we want to not mention the the deceased's name because we don't want to bring up sadness but i think for the the loved one who has lost someone they are craving someone else to remember them and to recognize that um I still have memories of this person who is no longer here.
0: If you do invite somebody to do something and they decline, accept it. It may be painful. Maybe they'll go next year, but not this year.
1: That is incredibly helpful. Um, And I appreciate how you guys have taught those of us that, you know, don't always know how to respond in a situation or how to be there, even though we have an intense desire to be there for someone uh to show up and to remember their name, to remember that loved one's name, to check in on that one that's hurting for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, And I I hear I heard you guys kind of allude to both of you allude to something a little earlier about the groups that you're in that support you in your need as well, among others that can also relate with what you're going through. Um, So can you just share how someone might identify if the group is right for them or, you know, how to even connect? I went to a grief Group very
0: early on in my loss because my husband died in December and my daughter was going to be married in July. And I needed tools because I wanted to be present for myself and I wanted to be present for her wedding. And I thought, I've never been a widow before. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm hurting. And I went to that group. Uh, I questioned if it was right for me, but I went back again and I went back a third time and I was able to extract what I needed. It's so
2: incredibly helpful to know that I'm not the only one. And so a lot of times people will share quirky side effects or quirky, like quirky, um, symptoms. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm not going crazy. Um, but not it, but more importantly, or just as important, I should say, not more importantly, um, is to still gather with people face to face. Um, so sometimes I, I have to choose as Lisa Turkhurst wrote in her book, the best. Yes. I have to choose what's going to be the best. Yes. For me for that week. And I have to schedule rest and, and, um, and those kind of things and set some boundaries for myself. So I don't have a severe flare up, but it is incredibly important for me to be around other people, to be around other believers, especially because I'm now at home all day and where I used to be working all the time and being around people. So um, for me, it's, it's important to be around others um and to be just encouraged and uplifted in the body even um even if it's not directly related to my illness just being around other people you know um the bible says that we should be mutually encouraged by each other's faith that's in romans 112 i think but
1: don't quote me on it yes you are actually touching on something that we talked about with Vanessa Heart Soul two weeks ago. And if you need help reconnecting to a church, I want to encourage you guys to go back and listen to that episode because there is life there. There's life in community. The Bible tells us not to stop meeting together for a reason, but um, I will say thank you guys for just kind of those those things to look for, those things to get connected to. And um, one of the things that I took from that is that if one work, if one group doesn't work out, that's okay. Don't dismiss all groups, try another. And so uh, it really will. It really will help you become healthy. Again, I'm in a variety of groups. Y'all know this. Um, So they're just, they're just beautiful. What's the one message you hope people take away from your book? I
2: want people to know that they're not alone in whatever struggle they're going through, whatever hurt, heartache, um, whether it's the loss of health, illness, identity, um, that that you're not alone. And that um, Marilyn and I have, we have, uh, we're like trail guides who's already walked the path before you. We've kind of, Taken our machete and cleared the trail a little bit, gotten rid of some of the underbrush and and uh, um, and so we we want to come back and uh, just extend our hand out to others, particularly women, men too, but to other women and say, hey, come link arms with us, and we're going to walk through this together.
0: I would say that uh, we represent two women who are still walking the path because our problems are not fixed, nor can they be really. Um, I mean, I am a widow and I live in grace and that's where I need to land. And that's what I want to communicate to, to the readers that life is different. Life is difficult. um, But life is not over. And even when you have met an, a life-altering experience, a major life interruption, you're in a waiting room for something that you really desire. And so it's a loss because you don't have what you want that um, we walk in grace. And he says his grace is there for every moment.
1: It has been such a beautiful time, and I'm so grateful that you've shared your wisdom. I'm so grateful that you've shared your insight and what you've learned through those seasons in the valley with us. They make us better in every way. Would one or both of you pray for the listener that is struggling in this space as we close?
2: Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, I just lift up all of the listeners here today, and Lord, would you just fill their, um, would you just strengthen them and fill their heart with peace and comfort? Would you remind them that whatever journey they are on, Lord, Heavenly Father, they are not alone in this. And Father, as we close out a year and begin to start a new year, would you just, um, wrap your arms around them and comfort them like a like a uh, i just have this image of grandma's blanket lord would you just wrap it around them in comfort and just tenderly and compassionately whisper to them that you are our father that you have the authority you are sovereign and that um Heavenly Father, you—it is all in your hands. Whatever whatever hardship is going through, that we thank you that it is it is in there in your hands. And Lord, I just pray. Um, I thank you for live and for her ministry. I thank you for the way that she just abundantly loves on people and women, and she just she just has this heart. To serve And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to bless her and put, pour out your favor on her. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen and amen. Huh. Wasn't that episode good? If you thought that any part of it touched your heart, I'd like to invite you to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It will be such an honor to know what it is that touched your heart. Now, if you're looking for additional content, please look no further. You can find me on YouTube at Live Dooley and Instagram at CandidLive. I cannot wait to the next time we get together. Until then, know that you are loved.